You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. As uh, we get ready to turn to 1 Peter 1, 3-12, let's go ahead and pray uh, for the text. Uh, if you guys want to open your Bibles to that as we're praying. Um, so, Heavenly Father, uh, God, thank you um, that uh, you have given us Peter to write um, part of uh, part of the Bible. God, thank you that uh, he is uh, going to teach and to um, open our hearts and our minds to what it means to to have Jesus as our rich hope of salvation. Uh, so, God, thank you also for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to preach in, in Pastor Joe's absence. Um, God, we, we thank you for him and for what he has done as a pastor to this church and that uh, he's um, taken a, the night off. So thank you. Uh, God bless his family as he does that in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, as you guys are turning to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, uh, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a background as to who uh, who this character is. Uh, as you guys can tell, it's it's the first letter of Peter. Peter wrote the wrote this uh, letter. It's one of two of them, hence the first. He's going to write a second one a little later on in life. Uh, Peter is actually one of my favorite characters of the Bible. Uh, if you guys have been around me for very long, you know that Peter uh, is, is one of my favorite guys. He does a lot of stuff without thinking and then gets called out by Jesus later. And, and knowing my own life, that's kind of how I am. So I see a lot of a lot of Peter similarities in me. And so uh, when Pastor Joe said, hey, you can preach on whatever you want um, when you're up here, I chose Peter because I was like, hey, I totally relate to this guy. I see a lot of commonality here. And I just, I just hope that uh, what gets preached tonight and what, what, is, what is on tap for tonight, you guys also see how exciting this, this guy is. Uh, he walked with Jesus for three years, uh, became uh, the rock. Jesus said on this rock, being Peter, he's going to uh, raise up the church. He was, a, he was a, Jesus, one of his uh, inner three circle. He had Jesus and his disciples, and he had Jesus and his closest three, Peter, James, and John. Anytime the disciples are ever mentioned, Peter is always first. It's always Peter and then whoever else. Uh, as he was doing his shenanigans later on in Acts, uh, it's Peter and John that he runs around with. It's um, Peter and James that he's, he's checking out with and, and things like that. Uh, he's one of only two people to ever walk on water. And I think that's really cool. You know, he, it was Jesus and Jesus, he's like, hey, Jesus, tell me to jump out of the boat and I will do it. And Jesus is like, all right, come. And he like jumps out of the boat and he walks on water for a little bit. He knows what he's doing, you know. Um, he, he watched Jesus being betrayed. Uh, we just got done last week about the Last Supper and how Jesus said, hey, one of you guys are going to betray me. And Jesus and Peter's like, whoa, is it me? And Jesus is like, no, it's not you. As he's in the garden with Jesus, he, he uh, sees Judas coming and gives him the kiss. We're going to read about this in a little bit, about um, in a couple weeks, about the... the the prayer in Gethsemane and, and the betrayal. He then, uh, like I said, he, he then pulls out a sword. He, he's this guy that doesn't think a whole lot. He pulls out a sword. He cuts off a servant's ear. And in the midst of this, he, he sees a healing done. He deserts Jesus. And Jesus called him out on it and said, you're going to desert me. And he says, no, I'm going to go to death if I have to for you. 
And Jesus says, no, you don't. He has uh, the rooster crow, and Jesus weeps bitterly about it. He weeps. He, uh, basically, he was the one that, that uh, was the speaker for the Gospel of Mark. So if you read Mark, it's very uh, jankety. You see where it says, we went, and Jesus went there, and then he went there, and then he went here. And if three days later we went here, and that's, that's Peter speaking about this. And he has, a lot of, he, has, he has a lot of integrity to be able to say in that letter that, hey, I betrayed Jesus. You know, He gets done and he says, hey, look, I did all these things. And then he gets on here and he's, he writes 1 Peter and he writes 2 Peter. I tell you these things so that way we can kind of set up what is happening so that you guys know that, that Peter isn't just somebody that can just write a, write a book of the Bible. I mean, you have to be pretty special to be able to write a book of the Bible, but this guy had a lot of accomplishments, had a lot of failures with Jesus, and yet he was able to do this with Jesus. He was able to write two books of the Bible. We're going to jump into 1 Peter. And so, it's uh, I. I I kind of want to ask this first also before we start reading. You know, what do we hope for and put our salvation in? That's what I want to get on the forefront of the question. I'm going to kind of lay the cards out in front so that you guys know. This isn't going to be like a poker thing where I'm going to hold my cards until the last minute. But this is what I want us to be kind of thinking about as we're going through this entire uh, passage and everything. What do we hope for and put our salvation in? And we'll jump into 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. It says, Jesus, um, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Scripture of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have been now that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I titled this message as being Jesus as our rich hope of salvation. And we that is something I want to continue to keep on the forefront. So uh, because of Jesus having our rich hope of salvation, we have a sure hope in verse 3. Everything that we have in this world will let us down at some point. Things, money, and people let you down. If it hasn't given it, if it hasn't let you down, give it time. It will. 
Your leaders will, get, will let you down. Your family will let you down. Your kids will let you down. Your parents will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Things will let you down. If you own a car, you know this. You'll get a flat tire. It'll let you down. Your starter won't start. It'll let you down. Your four-wheel drive, when you need it, goes out. It will let you down. Your school will let you down. The people that are above you in, in management... And your work will let you down. Your co-workers will let you down. Just give it enough time, somebody will let you down. Everybody and everything will let you down. Our cell phones. Look at our cell phones. Everyone has a cell phone. Look at it. What's the newest thing that's coming out? It's the iPhone 9, 8, 7, seven something like that. The uh, Samsung Galaxy. You know, it's a Nokia. It's whatever new cell phone technology before we had 1X, then we had 2X, now we have 3G, we have 4G, we have 5G coming out. The last thing is no longer good enough. I want to have something better. My cell phone screen needs to be bigger and bigger and bigger. My reception needs to be better than the last one. Something gets bigger and better every couple of months. The desire that we have to not let us down is something big. I read somewhere that Bill Gates, in the 30 plus years of working, has only taken off a handful of days, maybe five, in his time with Microsoft. And yet he's one of the richest people to ever live. He's worth like $30 billion. Do you think he could afford to take a day off and enjoy some of that? I do. Do you think he could enjoy some of his money? But yet, because he's got $30 billion, he wants to make $31 billion. When he gets to $31 billion, he wants something new. We go through and we buy the newest, shiniest thing because that's what we put our hope in. It'll look better. It'll be better. It'll make us feel good. But then it lets us down or the next new shiny thing comes out. When I was little, getting a dollar was amazing. I'd knock a tooth out. And I put it in a jar, and I wait for the tooth fairy to show up. Tooth fairy would show up, and I'd get like 86 cents or something like that. I was on top of the world. Because I had 86 cents I didn't have before. That money rattling around, that was great. Now in my own back pocket, I've got more change than that. Dollar doesn't seem so big now. Think back to when someone has let you down, made you pretty unhappy. They didn't live up to the hope that you had for them. The thing that you bought, the new truck, the new car, the new whatever it might be. It lets you down. I've got a new cell phone and it already lets me down. In fact, it makes me angry at times because it doesn't do what I want it to do. And yet, at the time, it was the newest thing on the market. Jesus is our rich hope and salvation. And we have a sure hope because of that. Jesus does not let you down. Jesus does not give up on you. He will not let you down. Jesus is also our rich hope and salvation and gives us an eternal hope in verse 4. What are we putting our hope and salvation in? Is it a boyfriend? A girlfriend? Is it a husband? A wife? What about kids? Is it possessions? Here's a big hot topic that we have going on right now. How about our president or our incoming president? Is that going to give us our hope and our salvation, an eternal hope? No. 
Eight years ago, around this time, I got an email saying that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. I kind of believed it at the time. But now, eight years in, no. I'm not sure that he is. <clears throat> A year ago, even, it would have been hard for me to give up some of my possessions and the hopes and desires I had in them. It would have been hard for me to let things go with people because of the way I wanted things to go with them. The hope and the desire and the salvation that I was looking for in, in other people. So what was the issue? It was the hope and salvation of self-preservation. I wanted people to do things my way. I wanted the things that I had to be held on even tighter. Because I did not want to let them go. I'm being real with you guys. I didn't want to let stuff go because I wanted to have self-preservation. I wanted me, me, me. I wanted people to do things the way that I want them to. So what changed in this last year, in this last two years, or whatever it might have been, six months? Jesus showed me that I don't have to have the hope, that I don't have the hope in Him. I don't have the hope in Jesus Christ that I should. There's days where I still don't fully understand the hope and salvation in Jesus. And yet, I'm attempting to share it with you. I want to invite all of you tonight on this journey with me of being able to put our hope and our salvation in Jesus. Put your eternal hope in Jesus because people, things, and everything else is going to let us down. It's not going to be worth it in the life to come. Jesus talks about where are you putting your treasure? Is it here on earth where things are going to Destroy it, or is it going to be in something that's going to last forever? There are days where I still struggle mightily because of these desires. I still want control. I still want to do things my way. I still want people to do things the way that I want them to. And I've got to realize that they're not going to. Things will always let you down. People will always let you down. But Jesus won't. Jesus will bring you a hope of eternity. Everything on here on earth will, will turn to rust. It will be eaten by moss and fade away. Hope in Jesus is a pure, radiant, and incorruptible. He is perfect. There is nothing wrong with Jesus. Because Jesus is our rich hope of salvation and gives us an eternal hope. Jesus is also our rich hope of salvation and gives us a purifying and tested hope in verses 5 through 7. If you look there in verses 5 through 7, it says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we know that something is pure? I know Eric is in kind of the metallurgy stuff. He did that with his sermon, showing us about that crack. There's things that are pure and undefiled. 
But how do we know that something is pure? And though Eric doesn't work with gold, Peter jumps right into this and he says, he tells us about gold. So is 18 karat gold pure? No. It's only 18 karat. What about 22 karat gold? Is that pure? You're getting closer. But it's still got impurities, so it's still not pure. So what about 24 karat gold? Still getting close. They can only guarantee 24 karat gold to be pure to 99.999%, like four nines after the period. But even then, it's still not totally pure, but it's as close to being pure as we can get. A gold bar that is pure, you can actually bite into and leave your teeth imprinted in there, the markings of it. Gold is purified, it, purified by smelting or heating it up. So you heat it up to where it melts. And because gold is so heavy, you get, a, you get those brick ingots that they show you. That's like 60 pounds right there. Those little itty bitty, itty bitty ingots, they're like 60 pounds. It's heavy. So when you liquefy gold, it sinks to the bottom and the impurities come to the top. Lead is only half of the weight of what gold is by the same volume. The impurities float to the top and then the gold is melted and then tested to be pure. They let it solidify and then they melt it down again and they scrape more impurities off the top. There will be trial, trials and fires in this life, but it's the purification of our hope in Jesus. Peter says right here that there's going to be trials and suffering. He says, don't worry about it. It's the purification process of you. There's going to be many, many, many different things in life that, that is going to happen. People who haven't yet experienced things in life cannot speak whole truth into life. I'm not married, so I can't speak whole truth into what marriage looks like. But because of what Jesus has said, I can speak truth into marriage. But until I fully experience it myself, I can't tell you the truth behind it. It is through these fires and trials of life that we see people for who they are and who and what they believe in. We talk about, you know, our incoming president or, or our previous president. How it seemed like at the time all sorts of prepping happened because he was the Antichrist. Hasn't happened, haven't had to use any of that stuff. This new president is supposed to bring new waves of all sorts of reform. And yet there's still people that are worried about the other side of it. They're putting their salvation in the wrong side of it. We can see through these life trials who they believe in and what they believe is going to happen. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still our eternal hope. <clears throat> we find this especially true after a major life event. I'm going to ask you that if there's a life, if there's a major life event going on in your life right now, that you would find somebody to talk to about it. Find somebody that would be able to listen, to be able to give you guidance in this. The flip side of it, though, is that if you're the one that's being asked about this, asked to listen, point them to Jesus. Jesus is our hope, is our eternity. He's the one that we need to listen to. 
Peter continues on in chapter 4. If you guys turn there, I'm going to read out of a slightly different version. But it's in chapter 4, verses 12. He elaborates, continue on. He says, friends, talking about when life gets troubling and hard. He says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Right there, we could stop and say, you know what? It's all good. God's still on. He's still on the job. He's still doing it. But Peter continues. He says, Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process. Goes back to the gold thing about the refinement of gold. With glory just around the corner. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It is the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. If, you're, if they're on you because you're broke, you broke the law or disturbed the peace, that's a different matter. So he's saying if you're in trouble because you broke the law, did something wrong, you're getting just. You're getting justice for it. He says, but if it's because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought. Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. Verse 17, it's judgment time for God's own family. We're first in line. If it starts with us, think of what it's going to be like for those who refuse God's message. If good people barely make it, what's in store for the bad? So if you find life difficult because, of, because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing, and He'll just keep on doing it. Peter in this passage is saying, don't worry about it. God's on the throne. He'll take care of it. If people are making fun of you because you're a Christian, good. You're doing something right. He's like, don't worry about it. God's still on the throne. Jesus is our rich hope and salvation and gives us the eternal hope. There's an everlasting deal with Jesus. Jesus is also our rich hope and salvation and gives us a genuine hope in verses 8 and 9. That old saying, fake it till you make it. You guys heard of that? Fake it till you make it. Doesn't apply here or really anywhere in life. I can sit there and say I'm a businessman because I can dress nice. But does that make me a businessman? Nope. I can dress up in in crummy clothes and, and wear a welding mask and say, hey, you know what? I'm dressing the part. I've got it. But compared to what Eric can weld versus what I can weld, I can't hold a candle to him. My weld wouldn't pass a a test. It's because you can't fake it. You have to have genuine hope. There has to be something that shares that. You'll always be able to find the fakers in life because people can only fake it for so long. So what does it look like to have a genuine hope in Christ? Google's definition is this. It's uh, truly what something is said to be or authentic. So how do you know someone is true or authentic? Do you guys have passion about something? If If I'm around you for long enough, I should be able to find out the passions in your life, the authenticity of your life, the things that you were passionate about, the things that you want to do in life, the goals that you have. If you've been around me, you know my goals and my passion in my life. And yet, 
I'm authentic about it. It would be something different if later on tomorrow or even later tonight, I say, you know what? To heck with being with Jesus. You guys would start thinking, well, did he really mean this or was he just faking it? Thankfully, I don't have to worry about that. Peter says that you, being all of us, believe even though we do not see him and haven't been with him, you or we still believe. Jesus is no longer on this earth, but we still believe. We still have that genuine faith in who Jesus is. Peter was one of those that got to be able to walk with him. And how exciting would that have been to be able to see him preach? What he would be able to preach to compared to what me or Pastor Joe or, or any of the pastors in, that would be able to preach today can't hold anything to what Peter would have been able to do. The day on Pentecost, he gets up and he says, You people who crucified Jesus, turn your life around. Repent. Go glorify Jesus. And they did. I feel like if I said that, I feel like sometimes it needs to be said, but I feel like if I said that, I might get a shoe thrown at me. And that's scary. But then who am I putting my trust and faith in? There needs to be an inexpressible joy in Christ. Do you have that inexpressible joy? What does your day-to-day -day life look like? What is your rhythms in life? Are you excited most of the time? I know that there are days when, you know, you're going to have a bad day. Jesus had it. Jesus, when Lazarus died, wept. It's understandable that there's going to be bad days. But Peter... Even when he was in prison, even when Paul was in prison, was still glorifying Jesus. Led the jailer to Christ. Prevented the, the jailer from committing suicide because of the horror that would happen to him if, he, if the Roman military found out that the prisoners escaped. Do you have that inexpressible joy? Do you have that joy that can't be found somewhere? That goofy song that, that, we, that I would always sing in, in vacation Bible school. Do you have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? Where? Down in my heart. See, nobody's singing. That's why I don't sing. But you guys know that song? Do you guys have that joy? There needs to be that inexpressible joy. There's another line to that song that goes, I had the faith that freaks out farmers down in my heart. You guys have that? Can it freak out farmers? There should be an inexpressible joy. That's actually one of my favorite songs from Vacation Bible School, but I will never be up here singing it because I can't sing because none of you guys followed along with me. Are you guys being genuine and joyful about this? It should be the way that it will change and reorient your life, the rhythms of your life around Jesus. There should be that joy that happens with that. Yes, there's days and there's going to be a weeks or whatever where it may not be totally, woo, Jesus. But what does it look like over the course of the last month, the last year, the last two years, the last five years of your life? Is there a marked change in your rhythm of life going closer and closer to who Jesus is? Do people notice? One of the neat things about when I got hired at, at my job my boss came to me and he, he's like, as he was interviewing me, he goes, I hear you're a pastor. I said, whoa, 
Don't put that name on me yet. I'm not there yet. And he goes, so you're a godly man. I said, well, I hope so. And so there was already something that was going before me. Is that what's going on in your life? Is there something that goes on in front of you? Do people notice that you have Jesus? Jesus is our rich hope of salvation and gives us a genuine hope. Jesus is also our rich hope of salvation and shows us a suffering salvation in verses 10 and 12. Like I alluded to earlier in the opening, Peter witnessed the suffering salvation of Jesus firsthand. We can read about them in the Gospels that Jesus predicted Peter's denial of him. The rooster would crow because Jesus denied him. He, he talked to a, like a, a little 12-year-old girl. The girl said, Don't you, aren't you with Jesus? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, little girl. Leave me alone. Jesus, or Jude, Peter failed at this. How many times do we fail at this? Peter also seen Jesus' betrayal in the garden with Judas, and he pulls out a sword, and Peter flees. We see Peter's denial. We see Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Peter sees that. They say that he's off in the distance, but he can see it. He can see what's going on. And so Peter writes about what the prophets prophesied about in verses 10 through 12. He says that they searched and inquired carefully about what was to happen. I think Peter puts this here <coughs> so that we are not to jump on board with every new and cool or exciting new Christianese thing to come along. We're to slow down. We're to search and inquire about these things. Because these prophets did that, they were able to see and predict the coming sufferings of Christ. There's numerous, numerous predictions about who Christ is, but they, they predicted the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. We're lucky to be on this side of the suffering and crucifixion of Christ because we see how the prophecies matched up with what was taking place in Jesus' life. Here Peter is also telling us that it is important to remember and to read the Old Testament. It's important that we read what happens in the Old Testament because it is a foreshadowing, it is a precursor to what is happening those last 24 hours of Jesus' life, His suffering for the salvation. We read about the prophecies of the Old and read about the fulfilling of them in the New Testament. We find out that the prophecies of Christ all came true, every single one of them. Every single prophecy made about Christ came true. His last prophecies were about betrayal, desertion. They were going to strike the shepherd and the sheep were going to flee. They were talking about flogging. They were going to talk about beatings. They had mockery. They even talked about a crown of thorns. He was going to be numbered with the criminals. When he was hung on the cross, he was hung there with two other criminals. Him being the only one that wasn't a criminal. And finally, he was hung on the cross to die. This sounds like a great way to go, doesn't it? To be able to have a thorns pushed into your head. At my grandma's house, we got 
tons of thorn trees. And I can only imagine what those things might have been like. Some of those branches, those thorns on there are two and a half, three inches long. To get shoved into your head, to then get strung up on a cross, having nails driven through your hand or wrist, to having nails being driven into your feet. This doesn't sound very good. But this is exactly what Peter is saying. It sounds like a very humiliating and suffering way to go. And it brings about a salvation. Peter continues to sum this up in, in 1 Peter 2. He says, this is the kind of life you've been invited into. Peter says, you're going to suffer. And this is the life that you're invited into. He says, this is the kind, that, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. If you suffer, good. Jesus did it before you. Follow Jesus. Peter continues on. He says, he never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. Didn't do anything. Didn't say anything. It says they called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. Boy, that sounds like a hard thing to do when somebody starts calling you names. To not say something back? Something I want to do. He suffered in silent, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you're going. Now you're named and kept for good by the, good sh by the shepherd of your souls. Because of the suffering Jesus did and endured going to the cross and being on the cross, He now knows us by name. He also showed us the way that we're supposed to suffer when we do suffer. Peter and the other disciples, Peter can speak exactly into this because he, he lived this. The other disciples suffered greatly for their belief in Christ. There was many of them that were beheaded, they were hung, they were dragged through the town, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were shipwrecked, Paul being that one. Only one of them lived to be of old age, and that was the Apostle John. Although John does not have the greatest story either, as far as dying old, he was boiled alive three different times and survived them. He was thrown on an island to be left there deserted all by himself. Think about that. You love Jesus? Cool. Go die on an island by yourself. When Peter was imprisoned and when he was asked how he wanted to die, he said, I'd like to be crucified upside down because I'm unworthy to die as my Lord died. Peter believes so strongly about the suffering of Christ that he cannot endure the cross right side up because that's the way our Lord was crucified. He said, let me be upside down. You want to talk about a humiliating way to go? Be like Jesus on the cross. Be like Peter upside down. Jesus is our rich hope of salvation and shows us a suffering salvation. Because of this, we have hope. Because of this, we have salvation.
This is, the, this is the upswing in this story that Peter is talking about. This has been going continually downhill and downhill. Like, man, why do I want to be a Christian? I have to suffer. I have to do all this stuff. I have to have a genuine hope, but yet suffer? Doesn't look too pleasing to me. But here's that upswing of it, of the story in this passage. Jesus is our rich hope of salvation and shows us a coming salvation in verses 10 through 12. We get to have a coming salvation. That's exciting. These prophets look towards Jesus' first coming, his first coming of suffering to save the world. These prophets prophesied how he was going to hang on a, on a cross, how he was going to be beaten, how he was going to be mocked, how he was going to be stripped of his clothes and humiliated to be on a cross, and yet he was going to save the world. The Jews of the time thought he was going to come as a conquering Salvation, But rather, Jesus said, no, this is going to be a saving salvation. This is going to save you guys. It doesn't mean it's going to be done today, but it will. To give us the opportunity of salvation with the creator of us and the universe. Jesus did that so we could be with him. We would see some of the subsequent glories of Christ. We get to see the fact that he, he will save us. We get to see the glories of Him resurrecting from the grave three days later and conquering Satan, suffering, and death. We see salvation in Jesus. He came and conquered. Will there still be suffering and pain and death here on earth today? Absolutely. Will there be some tomorrow? Absolutely. Ten years from now? Absolutely. We see that all around us today. We see that in history, and we see that with the way the apostles died. But the great thing is that there will be a salvation to come. I want to share another story with you about my grandmother right before she passed away. She was in a nursing home, and... She uh, was getting to the last few, few weeks of her life, the last few days. And it was hard to see this because I would see her and then she'd become alert for a moment and she'd say, Hey, go find your brother. He never walked in with me, but I was supposed to go find him. She wouldn't even recognize me coming up towards the end of her life. This happened about a year ago in March. And then the Sunday before she passed away, we, we had all gathered around because we knew it was coming towards the end of her life. This woman loved Jesus. I had no doubt in that. The times that we got to eat meals with her growing up, that's all she would talk about, what she read in the Bible that day, what she read in the Bible that week. She's somebody that has helped cement my faith in who Jesus is. The previous couple days, she'd been unresponsive to where she had not seen anything. She was suffering. And then the, the pastor on call, after he got done with Sunday worship, he showed up and she woke up for that brief moment and tried to get up out of bed because she heard his voice 
she heard who he was and he was praying for her and praying for Jesus and, and Jesus would take her away. And shortly afterwards, a couple days later, she did end up passing away. <coughs> She's not in pain anymore. If we believe what the scriptures say, when Jesus was crucified, he said to the criminal, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Was rocking out with Jesus. I'm kind of jealous. That should be the type of passion that you have. That's all my grandma wanted to talk about was, was Jesus and what she read. I hope one day that I can be half the person she was. I pray that you guys, all of you, can be like Peter that gets up after Jesus ascends to heaven and gets up and says the first, you know, gives the first sermon on Pentecost. The thing about with my grandmother is she only seen one death. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, there's going to be two deaths. There's going to be the, the death of here on earth, and there's going to be in the eternal fire of hell. But because if, if you're a believer today, you'll only see one death. The death that we'll suffer through is just on this side of heaven. Jesus came so that we, when we die, we'll be able to be with him forever. That criminal hanging with Jesus on the crosses went to be with him in paradise that day. Jesus gave us salvation through his resurrection three days after being crucified on the cross. It's the idea of the already but not yet salvation and resurrection for us. The already not yet salvation. Peter continues on in his entire two books talking about the not yet already part of that. He says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. <clears throat> Every day, work out your salvation. You are saved, but continue to work out being saved. You have this resurrection. What are you going to do with it? It's the already not yet salvation and resurrection for us. I'm already guaranteed that. My grandmother was already guaranteed that. Peter was already guaranteed that. All of the apostles were guaranteed that. They were guaranteed salvation, but they had not received it yet until they die. It's the already not yet concept. One of my favorite passages that also helped me when my grandmother passed away was in 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul also talks about this, the already not yet salvation. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, if you want to write that down. It's going to be a slightly different version than the ESV. And it's Peter, or it's Paul talking about this. 
<clears throat> he says, I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. Paul says, the life that you're living right now, the body, isn't going to get us into heaven. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? Verse 51. But let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. You'll hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. And then the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and be out of their graves beyond the reach of death. Never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we will all be changed. There's the hope. We'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Every perishable taken off of the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. I can just hear Paul being all excited about this because this is, this is Christ. He says, then the saying will come true. Death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage. It's destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. I think Paul sums that up perfectly as kind of the, the, the piggybacking on to what Peter was talking about. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master. Throw it all. Give your all 100% into who Jesus is, into what Jesus is about, knowing that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Jesus is always there, always waiting for us, always purifying us. Jesus is our rich hope of salvation and shows us a coming salvation. We know this coming forward, moving forward. We're going to take off the perishable and put on the imperishable. We're all going to get white robes. It's exciting. Are you guys excited? I want to close with these questions that I have for you. Going back to the whole, Jesus is our rich hope of salvation. Where are you putting your hope? Is it a temporary hope or an eternal hope? Are you putting it on things of this life? Your home, your friends, your family, your vehicles? Or is it an eternal hope? Are you putting it on in Jesus? Is your hope being tested and purified? I'll ask you right now, if it isn't being tested and it isn't being purified, I would question whether you are a Christian or not. If we look to what the apostles went through and the early church, 
Your faith should be, be tested. Is your hope genuine? Do people see that in you? Do others see Christ in His work in your life? And are you being changed? Is the rhythms of your life being changed to align yourself with Christ? Do you suffer for being, for being a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus came to give us a coming salvation? We see the first salvation. Are we seeing the second one, His second coming? Those are kind of the questions I want to leave you with. Are you being, are you being a Christian? I'd like to invite the music team back up as I pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, thank you. Thank you for, for Peter and for writing this letter to all of us. God, thank you that, that you can be um, just amazing. God, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for being our rich hope of salvation. God, thank you for for sending your son to die on a cross and suffer for us, that we might be able to, to be uh, in communion and be um, saved through Jesus. God, thank you for the prophets who prophesied about who Jesus was and the work that would happen and, and the, the suffering that would happen through him. God, thank you that we're able to look back on the first coming and that we're able to look towards the second coming. God, thank you for just everything that you've blessed us with. God, thank you for the sufferings that we suffer through. God, thank you for just the people of the church. So God, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. Here in a couple minutes, we're going to take communion. There'll be a couple of us down here to hand out communion. Communion is for believers. You don't need to be a member of the church to take communion. It is the remembrance of Jesus' last supper and His covenants of His body and spilled blood out for us. If you're not a believer, taking this is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything to you. Plus, it also says that it's heaping, heaping wrath on you. And we don't want that. This is the precursor to what Jesus was going through and coming to. This was His covenant towards us. It was the suffering salvation so that we could have a coming salvation with Jesus. It gives us hope. It gives us life. There'll be two of us near the front to serve you the elements, and we'd love to pray with any one of you. Thank you for letting me preach. Let's pray, or let's worship and take communion. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.